Well, happy day after St. Patrick's Day, everybody. It's episode 11 of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners, and we've got some fun this week. The Blues, they're struggling. John Hadley is on fire. Stay tuned for that. Buffalo Sabres, they finally made the coaching move as they try to right that ship. Alex Ovechkin. And you got to get excited for what could be coming down the pike with Alex Ovechkin. And we've also hit the midway point of this NHL season, so the playoff races are about to get into full gear with each team having 28 or fewer games to play. But we're going to kind of flip things off instead of jumping right with the hockey, being that it is the day after St. Patrick's Day. Tim Woodburn just recently had a chance to drive down to Kentucky. And listen, I know you went to Frankfurt, Kentucky. How many people do you think can still remember that that, instead of Lexington, is the capital of Kentucky? Uh, well, only if you live in Kentucky or you're in uh, sixth grade and you're learning state capitals, probably. Like or I gotta... in Germany and you're wondering, oh, there's another Frankfurt. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But you know what is it like? There's a few states, and, and, and that one's one of them where, you know, you, you just, that one, like, how did Frankfurt end up the capital? Not that I'm that's asking you guys, re- that's where they built it. <laughs> well, it's in, it's, in, it's in the center of it, it's in the center of the state. I mean, it's basically halfway between Lexington and Louisville, the two biggest cities in the state. So I guess they decided that was, that was most appropriate. Out of the 50 state capitals, all right, be honest here. Out of the if, out of the fifty state capitals, how many do you guys think you could name? Oh, ten. Oh, I bet you you could do more than that. You got to be able to do more than ten, don't you think? I don't know. What is Hadley's number? Double digits? Uh, John, what are you oh, going I, with? I, you you have to because I I could at least do thirty five, forty of them off the top of my head. Wow. Ooh. I, I can I can name all the states alphabetically in a row. <laughs> These are the things that keep us up at night. You really think you could hit forty of them, John? Oh, sure. Sure, Ver- Vermont. Um, uh, Montpelier. Ah, see that that was that was a pretty good one there. Um, Florida, Tallahassee, Colorado. Uh, I think that's Colorado. I, I want to say is one of the ones for the big big city. So I'm going to say that's Denver. Right, well, anyhow, Tim, Tim, you go down to, to Frankfort, Kentucky, and uh, let's start with uh, with this week's bourbon. Well, in this case, uh, the, the spirit of the week. What do you got? W. L. Weller is a company that's been brewing, it's been distilling bourbon in Kentucky since uh, not 19, 1849, and they have uh, a, a special reserve green label bottle that uh, a friend of mine who's a liquor distributor in St. Louis says you can't get it in St. Louis and that the distributors fight over it when they make a special reserve green label edition of it. So I, I was able to sample that. It was very thin. It, it, you don't even need water with it. It was, uh, it was, I, I didn't want to drink his whole bottle, but I had like, you know, two cups of it, two, two glasses of it on rocks. And what's unique about the Weller brand is that they have uh, a different color label for each different type of, of bourbon that they are. It's actually a wheat based. Uh, bourbon whiskey, and it's called Weller Special Reserve, which I had the green label. They have the antique red label, the single barrel orange label, the foolproof blue label, the 12 year black label, and the CYPD white label. And then they have an antique collection. This is the same uh, dist- distillery that uh, that makes Pappy Van Winkle and and the old right. Rip Van Winkle a brand. So you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bourbon tours you can take in Kentucky. The Woodford Reserve one, of course, is in Woodford County, which 
which abuts Lexington and Fayette County, and I've I've taken that tour as well. And it's a, it's it's a fun it's fun to do. They're not open now because uh, of COVID, but their gift their gift shops are open. And you can still go in there and, and buy what they sell. Did I I ever tell you guys uh, about being on the ice after the team won the Stanley Cup and the Pappy Van Winkle? I'm not. I, I think you did tell a Pappy Van Winkle story, but I'm not sure it was that one. This one, so. Chris Butler, I, I told you how on, on the plane flights and stuff, we'd kind of start bringing some bottles of different things and try them and things like that. And one of the guys, one of the guys that uh, that enjoyed, uh, you know, sampling some was Chris Butler, right? St. Louisan, uh, former defenseman, lives up in Minnesota with his wife. And uh, he, he knew, of course, that, that, you know, we were fans of it too. So th- this is one of my all-time favorite moments after the Blues won the Stanley Cup because it's it, – this is when, you know, it's just kind of the personal thing. You're down on the ice. Guys are all dressed up. Of course, he didn't play in that game, but he's got his gear on. We're standing around watching watching people, you know, lift the cup and get around it and the atmosphere down on the ice. And Chris Butler goes, Garbs, come here. Come over here. So I go over to him, and out of his hockey pants, he pulls a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. And he goes, try this stuff. I'm telling you guys, I can still taste the Pappy Van Winkle to this day. Right there on the ice while players are lifting the Stanley Cup. And it was a bottle, a special bottle that he had bought a while back, was saving it for a special moment. And as the Blues started to go on this run and he was part of the group, he had this thing bubble wrapped and wrapped up. And and it was basically the equipment manager's job to get this from one city to the next and not let anything happen to it. And there it was, game seven, he was able to pull it out on the ice. That was awesome. Very nice. Yeah. Very strong. That was pretty cool. And I, I, I will tell you this much. Tim was fortunate to spend time in Lexington, Kentucky, because I think Lexington's an underrated town. I think Louisville's an underrated city. Um, now, once you get outside those two vicinities, the rest of Kentucky, uh, let's just say, that's, mm, mm, Let's let's just say that if, if you died on the side of the road, it could take six days for someone to find. You. Well, the, the games the games are rough arena, right? Yeah. To, to Tim, the hockey it, it, games, the Thoroughblades games are rough arena too, right? Yeah, and I drove by that, and they uh, our our team offices were in a three story um, shopping mall that was attached to Rupp Arena and separated Rupp from the Hyatt Regency Hotel, and much to my shock. When I drove by it two weeks ago, they have completely imploded that entire shopping mall. And it's just now a big, empty space between Rupp and the Hyatt. They, they, they tore down all those escalators and the, 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 the restaurants at the bottom and everything. They just they just imploded it. It was, it was unbelievable. Wow, you know, it was unbelievable. You really start to wonder. I was driving home from, uh, from uh, one of my kids' events last week, and I think I was coming. Um, she was playing volleyball over at that Center St. Louis Kind of down in the Afton area, right? So you're you're coming back on, on I think it was Gravoy, and and you hit a couple of those older strip malls that that are there that are you know a lot of it vacant, and you really start to wonder, man, what are they going to do with all this land? Like what how, what is going to what is going to come of this? And you know, eventually people will get a hold of it, but it would be fascinating to see what happens with that. That that was my well, weird thought of the day. That that's what hit me on yeah. Sunday morning. A bit, a bit off topic, but I, I busted out laughing because, you know, I went to Mizzou, and when I was at Mizzou, Mizzou hated Kansas, Kansas hated Mizzou. You know, Missouri and Illinois have a, a pretty budding rivalry in terms of fan bases and uh, and intensity. But 
nothing I've ever seen matches the intensity of the fan base. Maybe Alabama, Auburn, and football, but in, in basketball, nothing matches the intensity of Kentucky and Louisville. And they play once a year, and they and they play in each other's arena every other year. And I busted out laughing on the Sunday selection show on CBS last Sunday when Mitch Barnhart, the athletics director at the University of Kentucky, comes on as the spokesman for the selection committee. And one of the first words out of his mouth are, the last team that didn't get in was Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, speaking of this, John, did you see right along those same lines? Okay, so the Buffalo Sabers, Kevin Adams uh, fires Ralph Kruger. Donnie Granato is going to get a chance as the interim head coach, and I, I really hope, just because he's such a terrific man, I hope he finds some level of success there. But that's a hard situation to find any kind of success in right now. Having said that, I believe it was the Buffalo News in the newspaper in Buffalo where. They did, They ended up ranking, I don't know if it was power rankings, but they ended up ranking all the NHL teams. This is their own newspaper, the hometown paper for the Buffalo Sabres. And they ranked the Sabres 32nd, which is fascinating because 31st That's was hilarious. the Seattle Kraken. Right? And, That's and, hilarious. Oh, it was something. And, and then said, it said, this team is so bad right now that they're even behind a team that doesn't exist. And that's what the type said. I mean, just you want to talk about a sports page putting an editorial out there. I mean, that was fa- that was fantastic. I was yeah, I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Real, real, I, I was just blown away when I when I checked Buffalo's roster and I see that Jeff Skinner scored his first goal of the year last week, and Octoso has only a couple. And you know, Eichel, of course, was having a, a down year before he got hurt, and I guess he's uh, out of the action right now. I, I've never seen so many studs on one team have bad years at the same time. Yeah, I, I had a lot of time last night, uh, about five minutes into the Blues games, to study state capitals <laughs> and read about the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, and uh, I, I, I like, <laughs> I like you, surely hope and wish the best to Donnie Granado because he really is a great cat. I mean, guys. We've had guys like Jamie Coppin, Don Granado. I mean, we've, we've had some really good hockey guys pass through this town. Oh, Mike and Granado is certainly among them. Mike Kitchen, what a great guy. Obviously, Q himself. You know, it's all you have to do is say Q, and 90% of sports fans know what you mean. You know, so we've had some good people. Granado is one of those guys that may slip the mind of some, but not mine. He, he's a good hockey guy and a good guy, and I, I hope that somehow, some way, you know, he finds a way to make a name for himself there. I don't for the so the situation in Buffalo is one where their ownership kind of went to the bare bones and Kevin Adams being a first year GM and, and I knew Kevin from college he he played at Miami of Ohio was a first round draft pick of the Boston Bruins he goes to Carolina eventually wins a cup there and he's worked his way up I, I he's got a hockey mind and can be a successful general manager but he is new on the job and think of Doug Armstrong and the praise that we've heaped on him over the last few weeks on this podcast right. This is a veteran guy that still surrounds himself over the years with the Bob Gainies, the Larry Robinsons, and, and, and the Dave Taylors, right? I mean, Dave Taylor's been a part of this organization for 10 years. That was guy was a former GM. Kevin Adams doesn't have that. So he shows so short-staffed. There is a roster there that should be better than where they are. Playoffs, okay, so they were knocking on the door last year, may have gotten screwed over with the percentage point thing. But it shouldn't be happening, what's going on with them this year. That one's tough. But what I can't, for the life of me, understand, 
And I'm going to lump in the Edmonton Oilers, the Toronto Maple Leafs even. Uh, I will lump in, I think he could lump in the Florida Panthers. I think he could lump in the Arizona Coyotes. Teams that have gone a long, long time without success. And for a while you could lump in, until they got Lou Lamarillo going in, and until they got uh, Barry Trotz, you could lump in the New York Islanders in this. Uh, Teams that have gone a long, long time without any kind of success, that have drafted high multiple, multiple times. The teams that have been able to go from the bottom and get themselves back into relevance are teams that have drafted high but then have mixed in some veteran guys to bring them along. And Buffalo has gotten rid of their character guys, and you wonder why you wallow. The culture in teams like that gets so bad. David Perron was with the Edmonton Oilers. It was a bad culture there, and they turn around and they give Taylor Hall and Nugent Hopkins six times six deals. And you wonder why it takes 10, 11 years to get good? Because young players just don't know how to be good. they got to learn how to be a pro. I am just shocked that more and more teams don't follow what Doug Armstrong and some others have done when they're trying to turn a corner with a franchise. Yeah, and heck, hey, the the Blues are one of the teams that prospered by the by, uh, from the ineptitude of the front office with the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, literally stealing Ryan O'Reilly, literally stealing Ryan O'Reilly. You know, I mean, it's just, and you know, now they 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 make a big signing with Taylor Hall during the off season, with the intentions of hey, we got he and Eichel and uh, Skinner and this that and the other thing, and you know, it's a uh, it's not a good situation, and I would be shocked if Taylor Hall is still a Buffalo Saber. And, you know, there's a key veteran who is still relatively young who will be gone from the mix and well, yeah, but continue to rebuild. They never so. should have signed What do you give up for him? What do you give up for him? I mean, he's got two goals in 28 games. What, what would you give up for him, even if you – and the Blues don't. But anything that has cap space, what would you give up for a guy whose offensive prowess has succumbed to that level? That team is so bad – You've got to trust your gut on their ability and not think the guys are in downward spirals. But here's the thing. I, I, Joe assure, you Jeff Skinner is not, I assure you, Jeff Skinner is not a one-goal guy. Well, you know, I mean, he's, he's showing that. But Joe Vitale brought this up. We talked about this topic last night. The signing of Taylor Hall ends up being a selfish signing, and here's why. The guy is using you to have a really good year to land a big contract. So he could easily be as much gone as as before. Now, if you're Kevin Adams and you sign Taylor Hall knowing full well that you might be able to deal this guy, that's a different story and that's some pretty astute general managing if you really think about it. If he if if we find out that Kevin Adams signed Taylor Hall knowing he would be trading him come the dead trade deadline versus thinking he's going to sign a long deal, then bully for Kevin Adams. But can you believe that once again, once again, another team that Taylor Hall played for could end up with the first overall pick? I mean, it's it, it's the guy had, and look, I'm not saying he can't win. I don't believe in that philosophy. But the guy hasn't won anywhere. You are not bringing Taylor Hall into your organization to lift you up from a veteran aspect because he doesn't have that pedigree. No, but somebody, I guarantee you, somebody will add him to the roster in hopes of a lengthy postseason run. Well, I think, like, Some, like if you could put Taylor Hall with the St. Louis Blues right now, would you do it? Yeah, I yeah, would, to be absolutely, honest with you. Absolutely. 
but you're putting him on a team that you would not you're not relying on him to be a leader and the guy no. to help bring other guys along. I mean, I, you know, we already have one guy like that on the team. I'd take a chance on a second because I, I just I don't know where this team is going long term because I don't know the health of some of these guys. I am one of these guys who is becoming more and more concerned about Colton Pareko. You know, I, let me tell you something right now. This team can't afford another five weeks without Colton Pareko. They can't. All because right, we well, can stop talking about if they make the playoffs. You know, so I'll take another guy like Taylor Hall because at some point in time, this team's going to have to literally, as Yogi Berra would say, outscore the opposition to win. Because it's becoming abundantly clear that the entire defensive scheme of this team is discombobulated to the point where I don't know that it's fixable. All right, Tim, we have put it off long enough. Are we ready to open up the shoot and let John Hadley go? Uh, I'm, I'm all ears. Uh, John, the floor is yours. You start us off. Well, I'm going to rattle off a few of these in two different groups now and then after you guys have your say as my final comments. But, you know, this, this is a team that's not only losing the war, it's losing the battles. Um, collectively, over the last 15 games, the Blues have been tied or losing in 67% of the period. Tied or losing in 67% of the period. They're all, they, you know, I, I'm talking about, I'll use the soccer term, clean sheets. I'd like to see the Blues occasionally have a clean sheet, even a clean sheet in a period. Do you realize in the last 45 periods, I'm talking about 15 games, three periods, not including overtime. 45 periods, the Blues have held the opposition scoreless 13 times. That's 29%. 71% of the periods played in the last 15 games, the opposition has won. Has won. It's absolutely incredible. This team has had a lead going into the third period four times. Four times. In the last 15 games, they've allowed four, four goals or plus in eight of the last 15. You allow four plus goals in 53% of your games, you're not making the playoffs. You're not making the playoffs. They've been outscored 12 to three in the opening and closing periods in just the last three games alone. In the last three games alone. You know, I mean, you, you add up collectively the scoring in the three periods over the last 15 games, they've been outscored in all three periods. This is a team that is getting beaten almost start to finish. And when I talked about this team needs to survive March, I wasn't talking about starting off three and five. And then, of course, I had the infamous, well, you know, they picked up two points. Three points in overtime, so they got like nine points. I don't care because, again, when it comes to analyzing a team, points will matter when it comes to making the playoffs. When it comes to analyzing a team, two of those three points are horrid points. When you're up three to one after the first period of a hockey game and you settle for a point, shame on you. It's very tough to overcome a lead after two periods. The Blues are up two to one in San Jose, they lose the game. No, no. The Blues picking up two points in those games, not sufficient for me. 
Does it matter towards the playoff run? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does, boys. But those, that should have been four points. And one other thing, and I'll come back to some of the individual players here after you guys have a say. But here, here's another thing that greatly concerns me. The St. Louis Blues, again, talking about separation, talking about surviving March. The Blues right now are three points ahead of the L.A. Kings. The Kings a game in hand. The Kings will play Colorado, Minnesota, and Las Vegas. Again, Colorado, Minnesota, Las Vegas. They'll play them 11 times the rest of the season. On the other hand, the St. Louis Blues will play those teams 19 times the rest of the season. They make up the L.A. game that was missed on Monday. I'm not so sure that'd be good either because the Blues have lost five of the last six games against the Kings. The Blues have single-handedly kept the Kings in the playoff hunt. Instead of separating and being a part of the Big Four, They've allowed the L.A. Kings to remain in the playoffs almost single-handedly, losing five of their last six games against this team. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. I, I understand the injuries. I understand certain situations have come have cropped up to make it difficult. But the fact of the matter is, this is not a team that's going out and you're saying to yourself, wow, they left everything on the ice. They battled for 60 minutes. They just didn't have the talent. No, when you start questioning the battle in this team, that's where I have a problem. And it's reaching a point in time where I don't want to hear chief, 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 chief. Let me tell you something. This is not Craig Berube's problem. I'm sorry. This is not Craig Berube's fault, but it is Craig Berube's problem. Craig Berube has enough cachet with me that whatever happens this season doesn't matter to me. But I can tell you this much right now. Stop telling me Chief will fix this. Chief will fix this. Chief, Chief, Chief. It's almost getting worse. I mean, it's almost getting worse. That performance last night was pathetic. And you can't blame the big game guys. You know, I mean, last night, everybody sucked. Well, Ryan O'Reilly, for a little more than two weeks, had been playing terrific hockey. Ryan O'Reilly you know, has stepped it up. Braden Shen earlier in the season has stepped it up. Poor Justin Falk, he's on an island by himself nowadays because he has to he has to worry about Vince Dunn being on the back line at some point in time when he's on the freaking bench. You know, I mean it's just a lot of a lot of the name players and Perron, obviously you, you take a look at the top players and it's at 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 least in point in times, at least in spurts, the big boys have stepped up. It's the surrounding cast. The surrounding cast, whether it's the regular cast or it's the supporting staff forced into action, that is failing to take their game to the next level. And I'm not talking about playing all-star hockey. I'm talking about an average player playing above average, an average player playing really good hockey, a real good player playing great hockey. You know what I mean? Our boy Sanford, he shows up twice a month. That's nice of him. I appreciate it. Sort of like the the sun in freaking Portland. I gotta take a. I gotta. I gotta light up a cool footer king. Someone else talk. <laughs> John, I've missed you, buddy. That's Dad, uh, it, man. You, you know what? I don't. First off, I, I can't argue. I, honestly, I can't argue with with any of those numbers and 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 what's going on. I mean, the numbers are what they are. And and to add to 
some of your fire there, the games you are losing are not to Minnesota, Las Vegas, and Colorado. Okay, yes, there, there, there were two in Las Vegas there. But the the majority of the games that you're losing are to Arizona and Los Angeles. You've done okay against San Jose. You've done well against Anaheim, right? But because yeah, of the I mean, way they're, this they're, they're 4-0. They're 4-0 against Anaheim, and they're either 500 or have a losing record against the rest of the division. I mean, there's, there's, well, yeah, and you're, you're four games over 500. I mean, you have, to, you have to look at it that way. I'm going to start, and Tim, let's, let, let's take some of what Simon John said. I'm, I'm going to start with the goaltending. All right? The, the goaltending has not stolen you a game or two that you needed right now. When you suffered the kind of injuries they had, and maybe it's, it's, it's not unfair to expect it. That is what you have your goaltenders for. You've kind of been waiting for the one nothing game or the 2-1 game, you know, and, and there was a stretch where, where Bennington, I think, put four straight on the board without allowing more than two, you know, and, and the Blues were only able to score one. So so not without, not you know, taking out the, you know, where, where you've got the ones where, um, you know, maybe the run support hasn't been there. But there hasn't been enough of those. You haven't had a situation where you're looking at, at the goaltending and saying they have just really carried you through a stretch of three or four games. That just hasn't happened yet. Well, and when you look at the save percentage for Jordan Bennington compared to the other elite goalies in the National Hockey League, it's nowhere close. His save percentage is 904 on the season. You know, the elite goalies, the Kakinens and the and the Fleuries of the world, they're, they're in the 920s or they're in the 930s. And for God's sake, can we get Billy Husso maybe a shot of Weller before his next start, so that he doesn't let in a goal on one of the first two shots of the game, it's like it's like it's like a, a, a albatross hanging over his head, like uh, like like left rock in the Flintstones, for heaven's sake. You know, make some big stops early. And to John's point of of trends and 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 things, you know, last night the Blues had twenty shots on goal. They they only created one powerful opportunity for themselves when they lost to Vegas five one the other night. Vegas was only credited with one giveaway the entire game. They are not pressing teams into making or t- taking penalties and so forth and so on. And even the power plays even gotten better. But they're they're not they're not dominating enough offensive zone time. And we've been saying this every podcast. They're not they're scoring off the rush and they're not scoring off the cycle and wearing teams down. And after last night, officially, we have now won less than half of the games played this year. Guys, that's a pro. Okay, now here this is the one aspect of this where. You don't want to go. You, you don't, well, John, you can't go too quick, far off the deep end, though. Hang, hang you, you th- throw out no, the stat let, when let I throw me, this because. Well, go ahead. No, let me throw out just one thing about Bennington. And as you know, personally and professionally, and on this show, there is no more big. There's not a bigger fan in the city of Jordan Bennington than. But I expect more out of him. I expect more out of him. And not only you can statistically, you can do certain things. But I also try to find the simplest form, the simplest form in trying to explain a story and then building upward from there. Let me tell you something right now. Jordan Bennington, three times this season, has been a top three star in the game. Three times. He's not been officially the number one star in twenty during the 2021 hockey season. You enjoy Vitaly during your great radio broadcast on KMOX. Do your own top three. 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN. I'm sorry. Great. 
Now I've mentioned two opposing stations in town. Uh, My bad. It was forever at the other place. Now 101 ESPN. Go for the hat, Gabby. I apologize. Yeah. Might as well throw 550 in there. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> fact, of the matter, fact, of, fact of the matter is, uh, it, uh, you know, Jordan, you can't expect something that someone's incapable of producing. Jordan Bennington has proven capable of stealing games. For the love of God, he's proven capable of stealing playoff series. You can't go an entire season up to this point without Jordan Bennington. Jordan Bennington being the number one star. The last right. time that Jordan Bennington curbed, I think, was in your guys' top two was sometime in uh, Game the four. third or fourth week of January. Game four of the, of the regular season. Yeah. I mean, that just, that's unacceptable. The last time that a Blues defenseman was a, among the top three stars, February 13th, Justin Falk, February 13th was the last time that the Blues had a defenseman among the top three stars in the game. In the last 13 games, boys, that's obviously 39 spots. You have your top three stars on the official sheet. 39 spots. You take away the big four, O'Reilly, Shen, Perron, and Tarasenko, and the Blues have had four guys. Four other guys in the last 13 games place among the three stars. Again, hitting my point on supporting staff. So, having concluded this whole thing, have I given up on the Blues? No. Do I still believe in the Blues? Yes. But has their performance been even worse than some may think on paper? 100%. It has been ugly. And you take away a couple of those Anaheim games, and it even gets uglier during this last 15-game stretch. And and what's more concerning to me is that I I think everybody – on this podcast and probably most people that rate NHL teams predicted that Vegas would win the division this year. And, and they, and they're winning it now and they got a four point lead. The, the problem is Vegas, Minnesota and Colorado are starting to now get hot. They're 13 and 0 combined in their last three games. So three franchises, Minnesota has a goalie who's won nine in a row. Uh, you know, Minnesota's only lost two of their last 15. The blues are in the midst of, getting some bodies back, but even the bodies that are there aren't producing. I mean, how many how many games this year, Chris and John, will David Perron and Braden Shen combine for zero shots on goal in a game like they did last night? And you wonder where they are. You know, Mike, Mike Hoffman. Uh, we, we, we rip on Mike Hoffman, but the Blues don't get, the Blues don't create enough power play time for Mike Hoffman to be useful, and therefore his numbers are way down. A, he plays with the second power play unit on a power play that rarely gets on the ice. But we didn't we you didn't know, bring this, in Mike Hoffman. This is where the expectations and the understanding have to be there. Mike Hoffman was brought in here to be a hired gun. He was brought in here to get you some points and to score some goals until Vladimir Tarasenko essentially gets healthy, and then if everything works out, you've even got that depth. This guy's got 20 points in 28 games. You didn't bring him in here to compete for a Selkie trophy. If you thought that, that's... That's the wrong approach. Mike Hoffman has had to play on the left wing, the right wing. He's played on three different lines. It's I, if, if I'm going to be fair to Mike uh, to what Justin Falk was last year with all the different pairings, I think I got it. You got to be the same way with Mike Hoffman here. I don't see him as as being an issue right now, but I do think to your point, and maybe, and I'm hoping that you know that Tyler Bozak and he stick together a little bit because Tyler Bozak. Talk to us about playing with Phil Kessel. 
a shooter. And what you got to do to get the shooter the puck so he can score. And I thought last night you saw some attempts with Bozak trying to get him the puck in some shooting areas. That's the first game that they've played together. So I, in this situation, I'm, I'm okay with, I'm not so much down on, on Mike Hoffman and, and all that. I, I just think you haven't had, you haven't had enough consistency in, in some other areas of, of this team. But you're right. The problem is, is you take everything John said. You take everything you just said, Tim, even with some of the stats about with some of your top guys, and you look at it, and you're absolutely like, that is a hard thing to overcome. Now, look, the injuries and the personnel are part of this, okay? The, the, Zach Sanford and Sammy Blay are not showing that they can consistently be top six forwards. But, but even during this stretch, even during this stretch, Kyrus had a pretty doggone good start to the season. You're, you're, but prior to Tarasenko coming back, your top six forwards included Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Braden Shen, Mike Hoffman, a 30-goal scorer, and Jordan Cairo. Five of the six are pretty damn good hockey players. You know, but but it's not that the and, – and you look at some individual numbers of Ryan O'Reilly and Perron, and the one I just mentioned for Hoffman and Cairo. Now, Kairos hasn't picked up as many points in the last 10 games, and, and I've, I've got something that I'll throw at you guys about the return of Vladimir Tarasenko and Jordan Cairo here in just a moment. But it's – and Justin Falk, individually, a good season. You're not you're, – you're, but you're not getting enough as a team. It's not gelling as a team just yet, and that's the part that, that's frustrating because individually you're going, well, this is better than that. That's not too bad. But, the, but just simply as a team, it's not right. looking. It's too discombobulated. Exactly. And that's – I mean, that's what I was trying in many ways with these numbers to show – but you can't point to one thing, you know, and, 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 and frankly, I'm not even disappointed with uh, Stanford and Dunn because they are who I thought they were. I mean, I just find them to be useless. The only guy that I'm really disappointed with, truly disappointed with is Tory Cruz. Um, I don't think he's been as I, bad I, as you're thinking, John. I really don't. Let me, let me, let me finish because I was listening to people who I respect in this game try to change my mind with the analysis of Tory Krug being a terrific number four defenseman and a good number three defenseman. But I stated that there's no way he's a one or two. And I think if nothing else, his performance has proven up to this point that he's not capable of being a one or two. He's just not capable. Of doing it, but, but that's now okay. we can enter in. We can. It is okay if this team is healthy, and that's what I'm getting back to. Right? Is that despite the ugly numbers that I just rattled off, showing this team is really to be blunt with you, having their ass handed to them most nights. The fact of the matter is, a lot of that will change, assuming because most of these guys will be back in the line. Tarasenko will get his not only get his legs, but get back into the flow of the game. The one thing that has to happen, because you can't replace them, it's impossible to replace them. If somebody can't come out down at Enterprise and tell me that in the next two or three weeks we're going to see Colton Pareko, I have grave concerns about this team making the playoffs. Well, Pareko is the one guy that's irreplaceable on this hockey team. Now, that's because. Does other guys start picking up. 
Yeah, Go ahead. Well, I was saying that's because you expected some of the minutes left by Petrangelo from the defensive side of things to be picked up by Correct. Colton Pareko. And because he was injured early on, even when we saw him in there, he just wasn't able to move and be himself there. So what you're seeing is I well, think... Let me, let me know. I think I'm sorry, seeing, the second, t- well, second well, time I'm interrupting you, but I think it's important to highlight something that you said. Even when he was in there, because I think as time comes out, we start to realize that he was dinged before he was taken out. Oh, and trying clear. to battle through and trying to, trying to battle through an injury, which led to some not so pretty performances. So I mean this guy was trying to gut it out. You could see that in Go his ahead, skating. Well you could see it in his skating. You could see it in some of the battles in the front of the net. And where you saw it most is when you needed to have some quick turn opportunities with his stick and, and you just didn't see the, the speed there and the and the ability to do it when you know when you're watching Connor Garland take Colton Pareko wide, not many guys, even with great speed, take a player like Colton Pareko wide because the stick is the great equalizer there and he just wasn't able to to keep up with that. But the where where you're really seeing a major difference here, guy. Well, there, there's a couple of things. I, I guess I'm going to pile on with some stats. First ten games of the season, the Blues were plus thirteen in five on five hockey, and they were the best team in the National Hockey League at even strength. Since then, they are. Oh, I didn't do the math after last night, but it's like they're minus seventeen somewhere in there in even strength. That plays into everything you're talking about. I think that you're probably relying too much on certain minutes with Tory Krug in that situation there. Minutes that would be eaten up by Colton Pareko. But where I think where you are seeing the biggest difference night in, night out, with the changing of the guard and defense with no Petrangelo, Bowmeister, or Pareko right now is the penalty killing. It's allowed goals in seven of the last nine games. And you were making up for it a little bit because you started scoring power play goals over six games. But game in, game out, you've been losing the special teams battle. And that's starting to show. that I truly believe that losing the special teams battle has impacted the ability for you to play five on five the way you want to play it. And this is where, when you said earlier that it's not Barubi's fault, but it is his problem. This is where the coaching staff now has to try and get a grip and kind of wrap things around. And you've got to hope that maybe, maybe with some solid minutes from Bozak, the return tomorrow night of Jaden Schwartz, and and some guys shifting down in the lineup more to where they need to be. And there were some guys last night that played themselves right into the discussion of whether or not they should be scratched tomorrow if Jaden Schwartz, uh, Schwartz comes back. To me, that, that's where some of this will get settled down and can you turn a corner. I, I'm actually not all that worried about how the Blues are going to play against some of these top teams. And I'm going to tell you right now why. You were as depleted as you were and playing as poorly as we've described, right? And in the first game against Las Vegas, that game went into overtime. And in the second game, you had a one nothing game going into the third period. Golly, if right. this team can get healthy... And that's the key. Look, and if they can't get healthy, well, I'm not sure how you blame players that are playing in spots that they're just not good enough to be playing in just yet. But if this, and we're talking a good number of them, this isn't just one or two, right? This isn't where you were trying to make up from the loss of Tarasenko last year and you found ways to score a bunch of goals because your power play was top three in the league, right? This is the loss of a lot of high end players. At one point in time, five of your top nine are on the shelf, and not just for a day or two. We're talking 15 games, 20 games. Tyler Bozak was out for 21 games. To, to me, 
To me, the realities aren't, uh, the injuries are not an excuse, but there is a certain amount of reality. If you can't get healthy, the season's lost anyway, in my book. However, if you can't get healthy, I think you can compete with any of those teams. And I think the fact that you're going to have to is going to make you a better team. I think you make an excellent presentation and an excellent point because this afternoon and talking to a few guys and people posing questions like, what's Armstrong going to do at the trade deadline? I'm going to use an old baseball term that Walt Jockety used, and that's just, uh, we'll get better from within. Because right now, Schwartz coming back, Tarasenko already back, Bozik already back. If they get back Thomas, Pareko, and Barbashev at 100%, there's not a team in this league that can improve themselves a month from now than the St. Louis Blues getting those three players back. Tim, let me throw this one at you. Having said all that, John just mentioned, you know, a bunch of forwards, and we don't know the total situation on Colton Pareko yet. Okay, he's not traveling with the team. If he's skating uh, on his own, uh, one, it's hard to see nowadays because we don't have the same access, but two, it's just not something that's being talked about. If there is it, I'll tell you one area of concern, though, is there's not reinforcements coming defensively. Carl Gunnarsson's done for the year. You know, that guy logged some pretty solid minutes for you. You know, I mean, don't forget, this is a guy that in one game a year ago could be a healthy scratch, and the next game could play in your top pair with Alex Petrangelo. You've got you've got inconsistencies right now with Marco Scandella, right? You've got some, you know, mistakes and some puck battles lost in front of the Nets by just about everybody. Vince Dunn has not been very consistent. You're still learning with Nico Mikula. You know what you're going to get effort-wise every night from Robert Bortuzzo. You know, and Jake Wallman just hasn't stepped into the role and said, I'm ready, give it to me, and I'm not going to let somebody take it. That's your defensive core right now. Then that's if Man, if that's going to be fixed from within, they've got to just play better as a group defensively. And maybe it's not just on them. Maybe it's, maybe that's a, a unit of five on the ice. I don't know. Well, we, it, it, it's really mind-blowing when you look at the number of games played by – Wallman, Pagansky, De La Rose, Joshua, Mikola, Walker, all these got McEachern, all these guys that you thought would be taxi squad or Utica. And when you combine their games played total, uh, you know, you're approaching triple digits. And and night in, night out, that's eventually going to catch up to you as we have all predicted. And it is starting to catch up to them. You know, when the Blues blew that lead, they rallied, they took the lead against Vegas. You think, wow, we can compete with the uh, with the upper with the upper crest of the uh, NHL, and then they lose it and lose it overtime. That's the first. I, th- I think they were perfect on the season, or, or I know perfect in regulation of not blowing a lead anytime they had a lead at the end of the first or the end of the second period. But as John Hadley so uh, viciously displayed earlier in this broadcast, <laughs> they hardly ever play with the lead. They hardly ever score first. They, they, they're not getting the lead. They're not getting momentum. The games that they're in, even the games that they're winning, are all tight. They're not blowing anybody away. And that's what elite teams do on occasion is, you know, they have that dominant night where they blow you away. The Blues don't have the talent on the ice right now to blow anybody away. Goalies are going to have to step up and win games, period. Well, I'll, I'll, say, I'll take your presentation one step further, Curb, and mention that injury is also denied us an opportunity to find out if our top-rated defenseman is even close to being ready for this league. Because I'm not so sure that we would not have seen Perunovic at this point in time, had he been 100%. Well, no, that that part's true, but the reality of it is, too, is 
if this defensive group is as healthy as it needs to be, Scott Perunovic has some time to season down in the minor leagues because oh, no, you don't I'm need just talking about right – yeah. Yeah, just, I mean, just right now. Yes. Because Pareko, everything yes. falls back in. Pareko, number one, good. Falk, number two, terrific. Krug, number three, fine. Scandella, number four, fine. Anything else after that, at least there's some modicum of hope. But I, I, yeah, but Vince Dunn has see. got to get at this point. Vince Dunn has got to play himself into the top four. Oh, D- Dunn won't be Dunn won't be here after the trade. He won't. They'll get rid of it. Uh, in fact, I'll be real curious to see what he can get in the deal for Stanford and Dunn because they're both gone. They won't be here. I, mean, I disagree about. I disagree about Dunn. I, I don't think they have the depth to replace him. I, I don't think they have any choice but to play him. No, they'll get a defenseman for him. Oh well. Story. Yeah, if, if you if you can't, because you're right. Unfortunately, you you you've got a situation now where you you, you have to. That's I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll save the trade deadline talk as we get a little bit closer. As we're a month out from the trade deadline, but that um, Doug Armstrong in a trade deadline is great. He is not one to typically pull pull a trigger. He's tried a, a few times, but the trade deadline is not where he ends up making a splash. But the fact that this could end up again. The, the the expansion draft this year is the intriguing one. I mean, if you think you're going to lose a guy, right, and maybe it's a guy you're willing to lose and you're pretty confident that they're going to take him, maybe you keep him as the insurance not to lose another guy. The other thing, though, is if you think you could lose a guy at the expansion draft and somebody gives you a reasonable offer, do you trade him ahead of time and get something for him? And and then and then deal with the expansion draft when it comes. That that's we're going to save that one for a future one. All right. I, last topic here with the Blues. I, I want to throw this one at you guys. There's something that's always talked about, and it's a young player deferring to the better player. Okay, the Blues have not won since Vladimir Tarasenko returned to the lineup. All right. It's an unfair statement to say because it almost sounds like you're putting it all on him, and you know we're not doing that. While it's a bit of an unfair statement, it's also a fact. All right? Vladimir Tarasenko has one goal in in five games. He's going to have to get scoring at some point in time here. But, look, he hadn't played so long. I'm not going to be hard on his play, to be honest with you, until we hit that, you know, 15-game mark or so where he's really got some games under him. I mean, fair is fair, and he was out for a long, long time. But here's something, though, that's a little more philosophical. Jordan Cairo on a line with Vladimir Tarasenko. If Vladimir Tarasenko is a player demanding the puck, that means that it's going to be on Jordan Cairo's stick less. We saw how dynamic he could be. There's one thought process that says that those two should be able to play well because with Cairo's vision, if he can get it to Tarasenko open for a shot, that's going to be quite a dynamic. All right? I'm looking, honest to goodness, guys, I'm looking at Vladimir Tarasenko to take another step forward as a hockey player here. And his on-ice coaching, demeanor, whatever you want to call it, to bring Jordan Cairo along is going to be, in my opinion, big here. If Jordan Cairo is going to start playing where he's deferring to Vladimir Tarasenko and trying to get him the puck versus doing what he was doing early on, that's not good for the St. Louis Blues. And Jordan Cairo needs to be encouraged to continue to do what he was doing early on. Don't look for somebody else on the ice. Take it and go. We need some players to have that bit of a selfish approach. When you've got the speed and skill that he has, take it and go. 
And to me, it's up to the leaders. You know Ryan O'Reilly do it, but a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko, to make that kid feel as comfortable as he can, and I'm not saying he's not doing it. We're not around the team enough to do it. So this is why I said it's more philosophical, all right? But it's up to him that if you start to see him deferring, Tarasenko's got to go to him and say, quit passing a puck to me, dude. Shoot it and let's go win some games. That's got to make a difference in my book. I have nothing to add to it other than ditto. I don't have a problem with Kyrie playing with Tarasenko. You know, I mean, I, I think I think, you know players get better. Players like him historically have gotten better when they play with better players. And if, if Tarasenko is the elite player on this team, and he's certainly paid as if he is, uh, I, I like to see. Uh, I like Chris's fifteen game number. I, you know, give him give him some time to gel. You're talking earlier about Bozak and Hoffman. You know, give these guys a, a twelve fifteen game chance to see what they can do because they both have superstar moves and they both have electric speed and, and incredible offensive zone uh, uh, puck abilities and don't necessarily have to score off the rush like seemingly everybody else on this team has to. Uh, I, I like, I'd like to see them play together. I mean, I, you know, as opposed to putting them more with, with, uh, with Shen, you know, and, and then, you know, and, and nothing against Braden Shen. But, you know, he's, he's sort of falling off the radar here after having, after kind of leading this team for the first 20 games. You know, he's, he's, he's been non-existent, frankly, the last three games. He's yeah, been but, but, so but, but hang on, sorry. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Whoa. There's been a change. And the intriguing part is the change is Vladimir Tarasenko is on that line. And I'm going to tell you something. I liked what I saw from Braden Shen last night. He tried to lead his team into the battle there. He, he, he The seven hits he took... He, he's going. That's that's part of the dynamic of getting, like, if, if Vladimir Tarasenko is still working off the rust, which is clear that he is, that's not going to help Braden Shen in a lot of ways right now. That's that's the great part about hockey, is you can have some individual performances from time to time, but the success has to come as a group. Right, and I, th- I think more of the point you were trying to make, Herbs, correct me if I'm wrong, is not necessarily put Cairo elsewhere. It's basically Tarasenko manning up, and being a uh, quasi-captain of that line and saying, hey, kid, feed it to me when it's right, but don't pass up opportunities because you're good yourself. It's Vladimir Tarasenko taking the next step in leadership and bringing Kairou even more into the fold and helping and, and making making him a better player. And I'm telling you where we've seen this. I, I've seen it from him. I, I've, seen it, I've seen him when they were practicing a five-on-three a couple of years ago. You know, working with with uh, with Colton Pareko, and then the Blues had a five on three that night, and they didn't put those two out on the ice. They put Petrangelo back out there, and that's again the St. Louis Blues haven't scored a five on three in the regular season since December of 2016. That's an actual fact. Blows your mind, but that's a fact. So I, again, and and maybe some of this is going on. We uh, normally when we're on the road, I'd have been at practice today. You know, we go to the morning skates. You'd see it. We're not seeing it, so we have to rely on our Zoom meetings and stuff to ask the questions. But I'm just saying that when you get a young player like Jordan Cairo that's shown what he has shown this year, a new guy gets back into the lineup, even if the new guy is an old guy like Tarasenko, you got to somehow make sure that that young kid doesn't start deferring to you. You got to give him the confidence to say, hey, I don't care. Go score a goal or two and let's just win a hockey game. That, that's what I'm saying. Your, your best players have to be your best players. Look what Colorado did when they got McKinnon back from injury. They haven't lost since he came back in line since four and zero. They're four and zero. Look at Stone and Pacioretty in Vegas. You know they lead the league in scoring in the month of March. Your best players have to be 
your best players. And I, and I realize Vladimir Tarasenko, it, it's not right to criticize him one goal in five games. I think he does have four points. But he has got to step up to an elite level like those three guys I just mentioned have. He, he needs to he needs to elevate. He needs a shot on goal. Those guys haven't been out for the length of time. Those guys have not been out for the length of time. When, 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 can I, when, when can I throw that crutch away, John? I mean, uh, how many games does, does he have to play before we can burn that crutch in the fireplace? I'd say 12-15. Well. But in the meantime, whoever's on the line with him is going to struggle a little bit because you're going to be trying to get him going. And in this case, it's Shen and Cairo. And you've got to understand that part of the game if you're a fan, you know? That's 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 the ultimate challenge. It, it's no different. I mean, it, it's no different. Look, look I, I said this example earlier. David Perron comes down the right wing with the puck. He goes to dump it in, okay? He hesitates so Zach Sanford can get the line with some speed. Sanford gets the line with the speed. David Perron put the puck in a very good place to, to get it. But it was Drew Doughty that beat Sanford to the puck. But he beat Sanford to the puck because Sanford quit skating. Sanford tried to glide into it. If Sanford takes two more strides with his size and, and, and strength of his legs, Zach Sanford at least gets in there with his reach and holds the puck until the Blues get the second four-checker in. But instead, a veteran player like Doughty cuts over. Sanford glides. Doughty takes the stick away, slides the body in. Easily takes the puck, skates it behind the net, and they're wheeling out. You're now on defense rather than getting in on the forecheck, right? So it's hard to sit there and hang that on Perron and O'Reilly on that line uh, in that sequence, right? And, and they've got to work extra hard to get the puck back when you had it and you put it in the right spot, but the guy doesn't take the extra two or three strides to win the puck battle to keep it there for the line. That That's an example of how those lines have to work together and whether it's rust whether it's not skating, whether it is whatever the reason may be for one person on that line not going, to back up all of the things John has said earlier in the in the podcast with those numbers, they've got too many guys on different lines not going at the same time that's slowing down the whole process. And that includes, by the way, defensemen. I don't want to take this thing too far in a different direction, but you broached a name that I feel compelled to follow up on. Because he has found a, uh, he, he's found a little extra gas in the tank, uh, found a, found a breath of fresh air. But holy cow, just in the, in, in the dozen or so games I've seen him play, Drew Doughty, he, he's like, oh, he, he's almost the old Drew Doughty nowadays. Wow, has he played well this year? Well, yeah, he has. And but here's an like. We've seen Matthew Kachuk get under Drew Doughty's skin. How come more guys don't try it? It's like that aspect doesn't – that aspect of the game doesn't exist. How great was it to watch Dakota Joshua get out there and throw that hit on Ryan Reeves earlier in the week and then, and then drop the gloves? You know, you want to talk no – do you want to talk about a good surprise here? He has played Agreed. really well in the eight to ten minutes a game that he's getting, and he's doing it at center. He's getting on the right side of the puck. He's been physical. He, he he's he's been a pleasant surprise for the Blues. He is he is one guy that I will tell you. Another guy in the sport that I respect his opinion. He is the guy that was three days ago told to me that's the guy who's been given an opportunity to show what he's worth, and he's the one showing the most when he's on the ice. He's trying to prove that he deserves to be there. 
no, not only not only Joshua, but I, you know, while I haven't been completely pleased with the play of Tory Krug, I like the fact that the guy stood up last night. You know, I mean, he didn't he didn't get a good punch in, but he he stood there and he didn't back away, and you know that matters to me. That matters to me. You're you're in a game of that nature. Situation comes up like that, you don't shy away, and he didn't. I mean, that, again, that tells me that there's some fight, there's some life in Tory Krug. That at some point in time, no, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, I did. I hope, knock on wood, good Lord allowing, I just hope that this team that Armstrong put together has an opportunity to play at full force before this season's over with. Because I still contend, as ugly as it is right now, and it is ugly, that when healthy and collective and, 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 in, and totalitarianism, yeah, there's an old archaic movie reference nobody got. This team can play with almost anybody. I just hope it happens. It, 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 just, it just makes you sick to your stomach to look at the games played totals of the other teams in the Blues division and see that their top 10 players have hardly missed any games. And, and, and for the Blues to have seven players on injured reserve, I think Jim Thomas of the Post Dispatch reported that 17 of the teams in the NHL have either one or zero guys on that list. Uh, you know, the Los Angeles Kings, Kopitar's played every game, Dowdy, Brown, Kempe, Carter, Rolardi, all of them. They had missed a game. Not a single game. Not a single mix. Not a single scratch. You know, I mean, at, at some point, the dice have to roll your way. And you're and, still and, ahead and of them in the standings. I know. And, and I'm, I'm to the point where, uh, you know, John's foot is on the panic button. Mine's right next to it. You know, I'm to the point where you have to start rooting for LA to lose as much as you have to start rooting for the Blues to win because the other three teams in this division are going lights out. And, and I don't see any of them stopping. Well, I think a good place to end it. You're still top four as the, we record this podcast. And you've been, despite... Despite everything we have just said, you're only a couple points behind the team just ahead of you, and you currently sit at the midway point in a playoff spot. Despite the entire last 35, 40 minutes of hard facts that say you shouldn't even be there. How about that, Maples? Yeah, now, you, know now you just, like, in all honesty, you just got to get healthy and see where it goes. Of the teams and of the teams that currently sit in playoff spots, playing twenty nine or fewer games, the Blues are the only team that have a minus plus uh, that have a, a negative plus minus rating. Uh, you know, I mean, they're minus seven in in goals scored. Uh, of the teams in the playoffs right now, twenty nine or fewer games, the Blues are the only one minus. Okay, but we talked early on about how they were getting points despite not playing well. That that mattered at that point in time, picking up wins. The, the the reason that I remain concerned about L.A. is very simple. And you can look at that two different ways. Like I said, 19, 19 times down the stretch, the Blues are going to play the Wild, the Knights, or the Avs. L.A., on the other hand, is only going to do that 11 times. That's an eight-game differential. And right. right now, you have a three-game lead, and the Kings have a game in hand. If you flip the page and you want to look at it the other way, the Blues are, are uh, about two weeks away from having an opportunity to control their own destiny by having a plethora of games against those teams. 
Okay, I'm going to end this week's podcast with this bet with you. With either one of you or both of you, whoever wants to take it. Okay? Because I actually, I, I, this isn't, this isn't going with my heart. I, I, may, I actually believe this. Okay? So the bet will be, right, that if I win, you surprise me with an enjoyable bottle of bourbon of your choice. If I lose, I will supply you. Okay? And, and if you both want to do this, all good. You supply, both supply me with one. I supply you with a, with a, with a bottle of my choice for you. Uh, all right. I think that in the second half of the season, despite all the games against Minnesota, Vegas, and Colorado, the Blues are going to have a winning record against those teams. So, and, and, and to make this fair, we'll take out the games against Anaheim or if the makeup game against Dallas, against Minnesota. Not, and not up to this point. So we'll, we'll start at zero. Against Minnesota, Colorado, and Las Vegas, I think the St. Louis Blues will have a winning record against those teams here in the second half. I'll take that bet. All right. John, are you in? No, because I, the, it's one of those, you know, people tell me I hate it, John, when you say yes and no. Well, I almost have to say yes and no because I don't know if Pareko is healthy and playing. If Pareko is healthy and playing in at least 20 games, I'm 100%. That's why you got to make the bet the now. Bo- we don't know the answer to that. So you want to make the bet on what you know now? Man. <laughs> no, because I'm a freaking slimeball homer who can't bet against his own game. <laughs> uh, well, listen, Tim. Tim's a Tim's a homer, like too. Pete We're Rose. all homers. I'm like Pete Rose. I have... I'm like Rose, Pete Rose. I have many flaws, but I can't bet against my own team. But this is one of those where it'll be a fun experience to then enjoy the bottle together. So we can't lose on this one. So Tim, I appreciate you taking the bet. That'll make it fun. Now we got now now we'll monitor something. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll take the bet if I have to buy buy you a bottle of bourbon and you have to buy me one share of Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm not getting in. I'm not getting into the Elon Musk world right now. No thanks. What's that, that up to, Tim? Like fifty-six thousand yeah. dollars a share now. I, I saw the other day. There's like there's over four hundred Bitcoin ATM machines in this country right now. Unbelievable! Wow! Unbelievable! Wow. The world we're heading into, boys, and let's just hope it includes a very healthy Blues team sometime in early April. Reminds me of my favorite line in Raising Arizona, one of my favorite movies of all time. When he says, "Whoa, the world's a crazy place. They ought to, they ought to sell tickets." And the other guy goes, hell yeah, I'd buy one. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, great week. We'll do another one next week. Uh, great job. And uh, the bet is on. We'll now start tracking some standings. Have a great week, guys. All right, boys. All right, that's Tim Woodburn. That's John Hadley. I'm Chris Kirby. You've been listening to Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners, episode number 11. We'll be back with you next week. Enjoy it. And again, tell your friends, download it. Just straightforward hockey talk, honest maybe to a fault on what's going on around the St. Louis Blues and the National Hockey League. Cheers. Have a great week, everybody.